scrutiny that they definitely deserve with you at all as always i'm ryan shealy uh, back from dublin back from dublin mere blocks away from chuck bass's empire hotel in new york, <laughs> in the West Side, new york city um and joining me from uh the university of california in los angeles it's in los angeles is mr matt rather how you hey, doing Matt? hey what's going on ryan it's glad to be back how is how is your week off it's glad what is glad what is glad to be back matt <laughs> <laughs> my uh my sociological acumen yes as is mine um, <laughs> Yeah, we we're back after um, a week off because I was we had, we had a week of hiatus because I was at another academic conference um, in Dublin, Ireland. Did you um, confer? But, you may have, you may have heard it of it. It's in Ireland. Did, yes, exactly. Did you confer? Was it at Was it at Trinity Trinity uh, University or college? Yeah, it was, it was at Trinity Trinity College, which uh, makes even the the most old and prestigious of our. Uh, of our American universities um, seem kind of seem kind of new. Did you go see uh, the book? Did you go see the book of Kells? I did. I did. You know, it's no Gutenberg Bible. But, uh, <laughs> I'm much more, you know, about uh, you know type typeface. You know, um, I heard. I actually, you know, in our in our collegiate. Um, uh, in our collegiate days, I became the member of a club at the college we both attended, uh, which was which was dedicated to collecting rare books and serving uh, serving tea, uh, uh, serving a nice cream tea. At- that's, what, that's what they call a fraternity at the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, in in this uh, in this sort of literary enthusiasts club, and so we um, we the the club which which you know. It has existed for a uh, hundred years. It's called the Elizabethan Club, and they collect rare books. And they have many, uh, you know, quarto editions of Shakespeare. And they have a couple copies of each of the first four folios of Shakespeare. Maybe only one first folio. Um, and so I was, you know, I was taking a guest there once when I was visiting a couple a couple months ago, and. Um, and uh, we asked to see the first folio, and of course it was brought out and handed to us. And you know, we flipped through it for a little while. And uh, which is which is that's that's the benefit that membership has while while you're sipping your tea. Um, and uh, so it's an important book, but not an ex- extremely rare book," said the librarian of the club. That is to say, like the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington has, you know, uh, has. 24, 25, 50, you know, has some untold dozens of, of these first folios. And the Gutenberg Bible is the same way, where it's, uh, there are a lot of them. And it's, it's an important book, but, but not extremely rare as, you know, as books go. Uh, it's no, right. you well, know. it's not extremely rare as rare books go. Right, right? exactly. Uh, it's, as, it's, as it's rare books go. rare, like compared to, let's say, the girl with the dragon tattoo, <laughs> <laughs> or the girl with the pearl earring, or any of those girls. But uh, but the book of Kells, you know, it's it's one of a kind. It's like kind. it's the only one in the universe. It's it's and it's great, and it's and it's a tough uh, exhibition. Um, you know, they they have to really. Um, it's it's a good. Uh, it's well a well curated exhibit because they only have two pages of the book of Kells available for viewing. And so they do, there's a whole buildup that is uh, um, on illumination on, on the monastic life um, in, in, in early modern Europe um, on, on, you know, the gospels um, and, and then on the history of the book of Kells itself um, so that you're not just standing in line to, to look at gaze at something for a few minutes, but you have context um, and it's, it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and then you get to walk through the long room, which is the, uh, old formal library, um, at, at Trinity. Um, and it's great. It, 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 it really, the, the exhibit together, uh, highlights the relationship between rebellion and religion in Irish history. Um, you know, that's like the theme of any trip, to, good trip to Ireland. Um, I mean, I guess people go to like pubs and, and like Guinness and Jameson tour. But for me, it was all about rebellion, re- rebellion and religion, uh, and, and how they intersect. Um, 
and and in in the in the maintenance and challenging of this of the social order. And speaking of maintaining and challenging social order, uh, we have we've had uh, two episodes each of Glee and Gossip Girl. Um, since uh, since our last episode, and they've been they've been good ones. Um, number 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 fifteen, Santorum. Um, yes. Yeah, so our last episode was number fifteen, Santorum, uh, that was that focused on the home episode of Glee, and I believe the introduction of Serena's father um, in in Gossip Girl. And, yes. And both of these uh, both shows have have been carrying out the trajectories that were set forth um, in in those uh, in those episodes. Um, but rather than go go sequentially, I think we're going to go um, thematically. And I guess you know, I'll continuing on this, uh, this this conversation of elite elite universities and the various uh, clubs and organizations in elite universities, I want to I want to start off um, by talking about uh, about Columbia um, about right. Columbia. Now we we had a we had a listener email about Columbia. Oh, okay. uh, actually, which was uh, from from uh, stalwart feedbacker Cat, who wrote in to say, "Aren't they going to have trouble showing Columbia uh, since they already shot Columbia as Yale?" Before and since we haven't seen it yet as Columbia and and I I mentioned to her that in fact we had uh, Blair runs into the Mean Girls not in either of these two episodes but in the one before the one that we focused on in the Santorum episode I'm sorry I just can't say that enough uh, on uh, uh, like uh, Riverside at about one sixteenth and you see the street sign in the background so you know they're actually they're actually there so we're in the we're in the vicinity of Columbia and they actually didn't shoot that much Columbia and all of it was pretty general. Like, you know, they shot, I don't know, the gate, like 116th Street looking out towards Broadway, or they shot like up the steps or something. Yeah, you know, right. things so it was like very this. much Morningside Heights, right? So it was, it was, it was Broadway in the, in the low hundreds or the right. hundred teens, right? Um, yeah. And they just made sure that they had collegiate looking back uh, buildings in the background, right? Um, that, because, because Columbia is a, um, an urban campus, right? So whereas, NYU doesn't have much of a campus to speak of. It's kind of um, spread out over the veiny Lafayette Street region, as we've discussed uh, <laughs> before. Um, Columbia has a has a campus, but it's it's it, it, it directly abuts um, you know urban neighborhoods in New York, right? So you have major thoroughfares. Well, they're down um, the hill. The, the urban neighborhoods. Once I took, urban. I was going. I mean, I mean, urban as actually meaning in a city rather oh, than. Like, okay. Not, 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 not as they, not as they mean when they describe urban, when racists like me describe urban music or, you know, or urban, urban sitcoms. That, 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 that word doesn't have any meaning in the world of Gossip Girl. That, that doesn't exist, right? That New York really doesn't exist. No. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe that's a season, like, you know, that's, that's when they do the, the wire, uh, Gossip Girl crossover, um, that, that that we dream of, right? You know, so it's, it's like, funny because it's like, you... it's like brother moves on and and Blair forming a lie. Uh, <laughs> that's my fan fiction right there. Wire fan fiction. That's fantastic. Um, but let's let's so let's talk about this. So we've, I think, and this was foreshadowed a little bit um, in the last episode that we talked about that um, you know Blair is is increasingly dissatisfied at NYU. Um, and, the, and in the first of the two episodes um, that we're discussing is hanging out at Columbia um, to to sort of think about transferring and and just you know per, you know in her mind um, you know hang out just be around a, a better class of people. Sure. Um, but but this gets out of control. Um, she's recognized by the Columbia Mean Girls and um, and and ends up. Um, uh, being an imposter, saying that she has transferred, that she she is a Columbia student, and then ends up play acting, um, and 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 gets and, and gets foisted has has lots of uh, expectations foisted upon her. Um, and I think what's what's interesting about that was this, a good right? summary. That was a good recap, Ryan. There, Thank you. that's that's. I know, great. I know. This is odd. Um, I was waiting for you to to, to jump in with analysis. Um, um, I mean, I feel like it was a while ago, so I'm feeling I need to refresh our memory. Right. Um, but I think what's interesting about this, right? So I, what I thought was interesting, um, you know, given, given that this is not a recap show, this is not a review show, this is a, a show about sociology, political sociology, um, and and uh, and and narratology. Also, um, also uh, spoilers and dirty words. And spoilers and dirty words, which we've had not nearly enough of uh, in this episode. Right. Um, 
Um, we, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Thanks. Um, the, well, I think what's interesting about this episode, right, is that Blair has sort of not had a, you know, she'd been a queen without a, a, um, a queen without a, a, a state, without a, a kingdom since she graduated from, from Constance. Since she graduated, her, her government is in exile, if you will. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, you know, and, and, but what's interesting is that as soon as she, as soon as she arrives at Columbia, and she's, um, you know, treated as a, um, you know, a returning sovereign by the, um, by the mean girls of, of Columbia. Who are, finds- who are sort of overwhelmed with joy at being, you know, uh, they see her cell phone go off and they're, they're witness, they're overwhelmed with joy at being witness to like the hatching of a scheme. You know, right. is this a Blair right. Waldorf scheme really coming to fruition right now or really being, right. you know, dreamed, dreamed up right now? They, they realize that they're seeing the master at work. Right, but what's interesting, and Blair at first is is happy because you know she is, um, you know, uh, be, being appreciated. She's um, being given the, the the sort of deference and respect that she feels that she deserves. But then also um, she, the expectations of these minions of these of these followers also constrain her um, in that uh, they have they have expectations that she, you know they believe that she is a a student at Columbia, and they um, you know when there's uh, some I think there's drama involving involving Jenny, right? She just wants to live and let live, and and they won't have any of this, right? The the Blair that they know of uh, through through legend uh, would would put Jenny in her place, right? Yeah, we've kind of rushed to, rushed to Serena's aid, right? Because it's Jenny is trying to horn in on Serena's man there. Yeah, her man and her and her room, right? It's about right. territory. Um, um, it's, it's about, it's about property. Um, is that Serena's decided she wants to move back into the Vanderwoodson residence and wants her old room back, um, which is really about punishing Jenny for, um, for trying to get all up on, uh, all up on Nate. And so, uh, old Blair would have, um, you know, developed a plan and, and put, put Jenny in her place. But, you know, Blair, I think has tired of these schemes because of, um, where, where it led her with, with Chuck, um, you know, and, and wants to be somewhat of a, a kinder, gentler Blair, but, but her reputation and the expectations of these followers constrain her. And I think it's this really interesting idea that even if she is, you know, this, this legend, right. As these followers say, you know, in, in, you know, anointing her, their, their queen, they also, they set expectations, right? There's, there's a, there's an implicit contract of what Blair will deliver. And that is, you know, um, a, a providing schemes and, and, and ruling in a, in a certain way. And if that is not, um, in line with their expectations, um, you know, then there's, then there's cost to pay. So I thought that was, uh, uh, you know, that, that tension was really interesting, right? That, you know, Blair got what she wanted and it was, it was more than she bargained for. Right. And, um, yeah, it, well, it requires, that is, that is to say, you, you put it well in our notes for the show, which is that, uh, when you, when you consider rulership as an obligation, a ruler requires a power base and the power base might demand policy concessions from the ruler so that you don't, you know, you don't necessarily get to rule entirely autocratically, even if right. you are, a monarch right so right so any i mean this this comes from a theory um that that was put forward uh by a political scientist named bruce bueno de mesquita who's actually at uh uh, at new york university uh in in new york um in the political science department there um and it's it's from a book called the logic of political survival right and this is a, a selector what's called the selectorate theory of politics right and the selectorate is the idea is is the the portion is the group of people um upon whose support you you depend to stay in power right, right. so in a in a um you know in a democracy the selectorate is all all adults all non non felon adults above the age of 18 or something like that at least in a de jure sense um and so that you know, to, to hold power, then you need to please a, a, a winning coalition of the, of the selectorate. So a, you know, simple majority or, or what have you, depending on the electoral rules. But even that, I think the insight of this, um, in America, it's a plurality, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And in in America, it's a plurality, but it really depends on, on the electoral rules. Um, but I think the more interesting insight of this, right. So, so from that theory, you could also, induce implications about um, differences between democratic regimes. But I think the more interesting insight is that 
even in non-democratic, you know, there's no absolute regimes, right? Right. That, um, you know, any, any, even, even the most, you know, dictatorial dictatorship, you know, requires on this, it requires the support of some, some cadre, whether that is, you know, a nobility, um, a military, you know, this, this reminds, bureaucracy. This reminds me of, um, Maybe there's a more classical example that that you know about, but you know my my background is in you know the literature of England in uh, the late medieval and early modern periods, and this reminds me of like uh, of the monarchy of Elizabeth, for example, where you had these incredibly powerful uh, uh, nobles, you know, landed nobility, right, uh, who who in many cases out earned. The, you know the crown, or had had a private power base or a private army. Uh, you know th- this has been the case throughout throughout the history. I think of a lot of European mo- monarchies where uh, someone other than rule the, the the power was consolidated with someone other than the um, uh, than the the notional monarch. And yes. uh, you, you know, and so maintaining the monarchy had to do with sort of kissing the right asses at the at the right. Time, right? right. Well, it's, and it's coalition management, right? And it's 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 uh, a a a mix of providing sort of private goods, right? Whether you know, like whether that's you know, in the form of payoffs or specific, you know, in in, in American politics, you know, pork barrel projects to specific constituencies, or providing public policies that are preferred by a specific sub constituency, right? That that. You have to sort of give the people what they want um, to a certain extent, and you know that. And and I think that your example is actually really good in that um, it shows that uh, it's actually a good analog to the world of Gossip Girl, and that both are these sort of uh, these situations. They're they're both aristocratic um, and monarchical systems, and they show that um, you know there's there's this myth that a lot of early modern European monarchies you know it was the beginning of the leviathan it was the beginning of the of the modern state that has a monopoly on the use of violence and and i think what your example shows and we've talked about this a little bit on the show um is that prior to the um is, is prior to the french revolution um a lot of monarchy even the more absolutist um monarchies that you even saw in france or in in russia um depended on a on bargaining within uh different um you know, classes of society, whether that's aristocrats or growing, um, growing, you know, urban merchant elites, right? So that there are rulership is is a bargain, um, and 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 you you trade you know policy for support. And there have um, been, I mean, there have been various attempts throughout history by monarchs to consolidate their power. Uh, the the one that's leaping to mind at the moment is is Louis XIV and Versailles. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the, the, these these English, you know, these English, uh, the, the English nobility was powerful because they, they were there out on their own land and could do a lot of stuff because they were out there. And if right. you bring all the nobles under your roof and kind of make them dance for you, you know, you you um, uh, you you can exercise uh, greater control over them and and kind of maintain your power a little more. Uh, in in a slightly more um, uh, stable way, uh, you know, you 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 mentioned that this this dispute began uh, with a discussion about territory, about you know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think really about property. I think about about territory, about uh, who belongs in the room. Serena's old room that became, you know, that became Jenny's room, and I think that we see these kind of these territorial things, these territorial usually dichotomies uh, in Gossip Girl a lot, whether it's uptown uh, up. Uptown versus downtown, you know, uh, Upper East Side versus NYU is uptown versus downtown. Brooklyn versus Manhattan, right. um, you know. But I, w- I would argue that that relates to. I mean, so I, I don't mean property in the sense of of holding, owning like a title deed over a piece, but actually, I think that there's um, a lot of, of of property as having a exclusive right to a a you know a a, ple- a piece of space, um, you know, a, a spatial extension. And um, and territory are analogous um, concepts, right? And, and that that you know, uh, territory. If you're thinking about like a spatial extent of a you know of of a kingdom or something like that, that that both of these logics are that you know you exercise authority over a particular um, extent, whether that's you know in private property, you decide what you want to do with your par- parcel of land or your room or this or that, or 
you, you know, exercise sovereignty over your kingdom, right? That these are, you know, essentially the right to exclude other people from your space um, is a is is a dimension of you know modern property rights and modern you know, political authority. Uh, in contrast to other systems where there's more permeable and overlapping boundaries, right? Um, that are that might have to do with um, the kinship, right? So there's that. The, I think that does that make sense? Or yeah, it, it does. And I would, I mean, I would extend it further. To, to, you know, um, because in Gossip Girl, like it, it it's often. Uh, you can talk about wielding power as as occupying a, a sort of notional space. Mm-hmm. You know, that is to say, who's the queen of Constance? Could you could you, could you unpack that? <laughs> I'll, I'll pack it harder. Um, oh, you're going to pack it. You're going to pack it like you're going to ram it down. I'm going to ram. I'm going to ram the Santorum back in the. Uh, and there's your profanity <laughs> for you. The conceptual Santorum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that yeah, is no. really what this show is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> let me let me get a let me get a towel. Don't move. Let me get let me get you a towel to clean the the, the uh, conceptual Santorum uh, up. Um, uh, the idea of the, of the. Uh, the Queen of Constance, for example, which though less – I mean I guess it's still Jenny because we haven't heard anything saying that it isn't Jenny anymore. Though she, she seems to have – she seems to move more on an international uh, – the, the stage of international crime now. But um, well, we're about – we're going to get to that soon, right? I think that, that there's some interesting things happen on that front in the second episode, uh, the second Gossip Girl episode. Well, yeah. Uh, God, we should, we should start moving a little quicker. No, no, but, we're good. We're good. But the um, the idea of the Queen of Constance, you know, there already is a uh, a, a recognized power structure of of teachers and um, you know uh, and a, a headmistress, headmistress Queller, right in uh, in the Constance uh, Billard School. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, saying that that Blair or that Jenny is Queen of Constance says that she kind of occupies a, a she she claims that territory is kind of a, as as kind of a notional territory. The yes. idea of Constance. Yes. Constance society, the the you know the set of social relations that makes up yeah. the the non physical um, uh, aspect of of the, the terrible social technology that we call high school. Um, the uh, can we just digress briefly here? Uh, I really mean this. That you mean high from sc- the digression? Or- yes, yeah. From the can we can we can we make a further digression? I think that high school is a terrible social technology, and not just because it happens at one of the most sort of traumatic times of life, right? Uh, but because it, it seems to me that, that you know, in, in pre-industrial societies, when um, what happened to adolescent uh, children or young adults, what happened to people, uh, d- you know, passing through adolescence was that they were integrated into a multi-generational you know, goal-directed sort of work group, whether it was centered around agriculture or around a trade or, you know, what have you, that that, that kind of craziness of adolescence um, is is diffused somewhat, right? But bam, the Industrial Revolution so that, hit. So it's that you, you don't go wild in, in pre-industrial Europe. You just go... Right. You, you, you just <laughs> either go to work on the farm or you go to childbear. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You go mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> Girls go mom. Um, and and what, ha- you know, what happens after the, after the Industrial Revolution when you need not, not only to, to warehouse the kids for the day because the parents are off working in factories and whatnot, but also you you suddenly need a skilled workforce i mean a, you know with limited skills but you need you need them to know a couple things before they can go you know i don't know the, before they can go like run the uh you know run the textile mill or what whatever um uh, suddenly you need to you need to put them in school and so you warehouse age specific cohorts uh together in a way that amplifies their worst qualities and uh, right, and suddenly you have you know suddenly you have the beginning of adolescent angst. Uh, you right. know you you have you have the invention of what was called the invention of childhood, but also the invention of adolescence. Not as a not as a sort of psychophysical developmental stage, but rather as a social phenomenon. And mm-hmm. and that like uh, you know that this that this high school seems to be a terrible idea for everyone. 
That's interesting. So you're you're basically plumbing the the origins of 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 these of these teenagers and why why are they fucking? <laughs> why why are they fucking? Why are they fucking and not bearing children? You know, right, the right, occasional. Right, right. I mean, Quinn Quinn aside, you know, right. So no, what you're pointing to is that this is a a a it's a technology of of disciplining, right? So that it's it's you know both in the proximate sense, right? Because it's 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 part of a machinery of 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 capitalism right um of sure. of both um you know in, in the short term it creates a small um almost mini prison for 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 you know outsourcing child rearing when people are at the factories um but then it also creates certain habits um and and forms of 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 social interaction that are are beneficial for creating um uh, for for per, 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 perpetuating that economic and social order, um, but what's interesting, I think, is that um, in the way that you were describing, I mean, to put it, um, you know, you were talking about the sort of Blair being a notional, you know, sort of notional space. Um, I think you know another way of thinking about this is that the social order, you know, the the de facto social order that we see in Gossip Girl is that is is a is a you know an arist- aristocratic and you know. Um, uh, an ultimately almost pre-industrial revolution mode uh, mode of social organization that's layered on top of this de jure um, system of high school, right? So there's a, like you say, there's a, a, a authority structure, right? There's a, a on-paper constitutional structure of how the school works. But then in reality, the system of, of social order and maintaining the social order has to do with a, a – a very different social space that has and, much more to do with with the aristocracy, right? Right. And so and this, this, in I season think... two, sorry, I was just saying, in season two, the conflict between Blair and the teacher was really working out the the, the tension between these two, the de facto uh, and de jure social order. In, well, I think in, that it, it comes. School. It comes out in, in, in a lot of ways. I think the idea that, that Blair is trying to, to – within the system of college, uh, she's trying to find and join an elite secret society. You know, right. Right. Uh, right. That's, many of the Blair plots this season were about that, right? Sure. Or uh, – and this is one that you've taken up in, in writing before, that the idea of, um, of uh, the, the police department who are notionally a uh, you know, autonomous arm of the state there to protect the public interest being used – Used as a private paramilitary force by the, which uh, you know by the by the elite, uh, which we see in this episode when Nate calls the police. This most recent Gossip Girl, when Nate yeah. calls the police, he calls the you know the the high-ranking officer uh, whom his father knows, right? right or or his, his, his grandfather. grandfather. Yeah, yeah, his yeah, grandfather knows. Goes, let's, let's call the police. Um, and, and it's great. Yeah, I mean, hi, is, hi, hi, Deputy hi. Chief so-and-so, or hi, Captain so-and-so. Captain so-and-so, this is Nard, Nate Archibald. We met at my grandfather's, right? I mean, I, I love that yeah. they included that, right? That is, you know, they didn't need to include that. And this is why, you know, Gossip Girl is great. That little nugget is is so important, right? And and it shows that even if the police are involved, they're involved in a way that is that is different from how it's supposed to work, right? Right? And, the, and there's there's this gap between um, the the de facto and uh, and and de jure. So um, let me I, let me I, ask I, you a que- let me ask you a sure. question then, Ryan. Sure. Um, is it is it possible to escape? I mean, can you opt out? Of the uh, you know of the of either the notional or the actual social order or uh, 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 organization of power. Well, so I think that you know this is something in the most recent episode is something that um, both Blair and Jenny are trying to do to various degrees, right? Um, and and it looks like it looks like Jenny is is more likely to be the one. Who will who will opt out, right? So, um, you know, the the plot line that that is coming to a head um, in this most recent episode um, uh, is is about um, there's these two intersecting plot lines, right? One is the mystery of of Lily's uh, can- mysterious cancer drug, right? right? That, that that it's been learned that uh, Lily's drugs are not, not, not the heavy stuff, but there are some antibiotics. And this is learned because Jenny at some point had stolen those and, and sold them as, uh, as, 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 you know, prescription pills. Um, and it just, you know, gave somebody a yeast infection or something. I forget exactly what it was. Um, and so, so there's that mystery of why, you know, does yeah, Lily stay classy, stay classy, Upper East Siders. 
Right. Um, and so there's, there's that mystery. And then there's the second, the overlapping mystery of the, the neighbor, right? The, the garden committee uh, member, Holland, um, who we've seen Rufus, you know, confide in, right? And we, but we don't really know what happened. Um, she tells Serena and then ends up telling the whole family that she slept with, with Rufus, right? And so the, there are two um, that Blair gets called upon to, to solve both of these mysteries. Um, and right and, again, sort of pressed into service, yes. uh, you know, as a ruler, as a, uh, you know, as an organizer of schemes. Right, exactly. And, and so first, uh, uh, Jenny and Chuck, uh, come to her for assistance, uh, with the, the drug mystery. And she, she rebuffs Chuck, right? She's getting ready for a date. Um, you know, he, he, she knows that he's just using this to, to get close to her again, rekindle the, the, their old spark of, of a game of, uh, of, of, of the tension that comes through, through planning and executing a plan, uh, uh, executing a scheme. Um, but then she is mobilized, um, when, when, uh, Dan and, um, and Nate come to her with the, the Holland accusation. She, she said, it just doesn't seem right. A, you know, an upper, uh, like two upper east side or uh, upper east side women are just not going to, uh, are not going to have sex with Rufus Humphrey. Oh no, I thought I thought it was. She said, "No one, no one would dare touch Rufus." You know, if if I thought the the rationale was if if they knew she be- if they knew he belonged to Lily, right? Oh, I, no I one thought it was. I thought it was more. No um, one would dare step to that. I, I see. I read it more of um, like Rufus is like. Is is so unappealing that like it's just so unlikely that that anyone else from the Upper East Side would also have the same lapse in judgment and taste that Lily had. Um, but either way, whichever like whichever you know, it's it's Blair's Blair the 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 crime solver, um, the sleuth is activated, right? Um, and I think this is this is interesting because you know it, what's interesting about that that whole scene is that it becomes a situation of um, it, it, the, the whole situation actually it it, it 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 illustrates the need for a ruler, right? Uh, someone to adjudicate and investigate these claims. Because right? Holland comes in, uh, says Rufus uh, Rufus slept with me, and it becomes his word against hers, right? It's who do you trust? Whose reputation do you believe? Um, and and it, it has the potential to be extremely destabilizing because no one knows, right? Um, and everyone you know, just acts punitively and unilaterally, right? Uh, Lily kicks Rufus out. She, you know, turns, becomes closer to, uh, to her ex-husband, William. Um, and, and things seem to be, to be falling apart, right? So this is why there's a need for, you know, a third party, uh, whether that's a, you know, a, you know, the, the, the investigatory services of, of a police department is not in this case. It's, it's Blair, right? It's Blair, who who uh, is committed to upholding a social order and has the the tools at her disposal to do this, um, and she you know sort of um, she she has has the nose that this doesn't seem right both you know logical or or morally you know normatively right and and gets sucked back in right it's, it's her she can't shirk her obligation um, no no one else will do it. Um, and so she she's unable to to successfully opt out, right? That that um, you know she knows that it is um, that is wrong, and it, and is called is called to service, right? And they they you know execute a you know a a textbook gossip girl scheme, um, and and get Holland to admit this this situation. So it's not. I mean, it's you know it seems to be it relies heavily on improvisation. I mean, I guess it's textbook in that. Jenny fucks right. it up, right? Well, it's, that well, it's it, textbook. Well, I mean, what I what I mean to say is that it, it is. Um, I mean, I was I was I was going there, right? So it's it's textbook. And I mean, even Blair says, "Well, a good a good general always has several contingency plans, right? Um, you know, there's a there's a fog of of scheme, right? Um, you know, even at, <laughs> at some point on Blair's date, she's you know her date is reading through the Columbia course catalog with her new Columbia rugby player date and one of the classes that they're looking at is the philosophy of war right and blair says oh that you know that sounds like my style right um and so so in in a true um you know in 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 true clausewitzian um fashion you know there is friction right there these plans aren't um 
so uh, so when I say a textbook gossip girl scheme, I mean in that there is, um, you know, there's chaos and um, but people improvise and play their rules. So, uh, so and, I think that well, the, the um, improvisation the, is is crucial to. You know, because everyone gets in the same room, right? That's that's the classic gossip girl. There's there's uh, chaos, and there's a sense of 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 hidden motivations that that right. you know that there's a sense that that there's incomplete information about who wants what. Wait, so know? let's talk about this. So who and so what's the the monkey wretch in that? You you mentioned it before. Well, right. So it's, well, it's that Jenny is it's it's that Jenny is trying to screw things up. She's trying actually. She she finds herself acting in concert with uh, uh, Mr. V- Dr. Vander Woodson, who, by the way, is the richest MSF doctor that I, I think could possibly exist. You know? The, I mean, right. well, did, it's, it's, so it's one of these things. Is either he, he was able to become an MSF doctor because he's from a wealthy family, or he's um, actually like a drug warlord, right? He's like siphoning <laughs> off. Um, uh, does MSF does MSF have that problem a lot? Off, like age drugs, right? AR like anti antiretrovirals, replacing them with um, uh, uh, antibiotics, and yeah. them <laughs> giving the antibiotics to Africans, and then selling back the uh, the ARVs on developed country markets, right? And they all get um, yeah, and they, they I like I like you know maybe and they all, maybe and they all get yeast the, yeast the infections, so they think uh, they're 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 cured. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thrush, I believe, is what it's called. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so the so right, she she finds she finds herself allied with him uh uh kind of un, unintentionally um because they they have they have similar aims though for for different reasons which is to break up uh, the the Rufus Lily marriage. Jenny because I think she wants things to go back to the way they were yes. uh you know when when they were in in Brooklyn and I you know I guess they've been building this up. I it seems kind of unmotivated to me because she she has sort of enjoyed being an international you know drug mule uh but even so that, much. But being an international drug mule was was her way of acting out against the the queenship, right? So that throughout this season, she in various ways has also dealt with the 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 constraints of being the ruler, right? That she wanted to make it a a kinder, gentler um, uh, uh, monarchy, right? And change the sort of basic constitution. And and some of the mean girls called in Blair, right? And there is a um, there is there is a correction back to um, more more closer to the more close to the the status quo. Um, she you know, there's various ways that she wanted to to opt out, right? So she wanted to um, you know, and I think the involvement with Damien and the drug dealing was another way of um, you know not of trying to get to buck the constraints uh imposed by by rule sure. the expectations of what a queen does right so what we were just talking about with with respect to blair um, so, so as you know, i mean being... to, so she wants to change the social order she can't she wants to escape it through you know like like you say operating on a different level an international level and this and is so something think... sorry uh, this is something that we've seen from Jenny before that that she does have the capacity to to, to improvise in the midst yeah. of these schemes, and she's a she's a very uh, she's a very strong uh, to use Harold Bloom's yes. kind of rubric. She's a right. strong misreader of yes. you know of social norms. Really, that's exactly. No, I think that's exactly what I was going to say as well. Right. So she. Um, and you know she's engaging in this act of, of misprison. Right. Um, right. Of, of, um, and and uh, and and um, of, of of misreading and mis you know and, and sort of creatively reinterpreting um, uh, the actual the, the nature of the social order and the you know, symbolic representation of it um, and and through that creating space for agency right and so her new gambit for agency is um, destroying the the social bond between that that, that has her family in um in the upper east side to begin with right so that right. if she can can wreck uh rufus and lily's marriage then then she can just press the reset button um and 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 have everything go back to how it was it's the the equivalent and this is okay lost spoiler oh well why what so it's equivalent to detonating the uh the the nuclear weapon at the end of uh of the of the most 
of the previous season of Lost. Um, I'm right kind there. of I'm it's, kind of disappointed in you, Ryan, that you actually did a spoiler alert before you just. Oh, what is going I know. on? Man? What is what has gotten into you? Um, um, yeah, no, we don't I'm, we don't I'm respect reading, spoiler alerts. I'm just reading our own show. social norms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's. I mean, maybe we can jump over to Glee at this point a little bit yeah, because well, I, well, let's, what, just, let's just finish this up, right? So that that what it seems to be that is sorry that you you pack that centaurum. Let's pack it. Let's pack it and then unpack it, right? Blow it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, All over the faces of yeah. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I, I think that I think this is what's going to you know come to a head in the in the season finale, right? So they've. I think. Oh, here's the one last thing I wanted to talk about, right? So that um, what it's setting up is. Um, is 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 Jenny taking an exit option, right? So that you know, Jenny makes this gambit to 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 play a spoiler in this scheme, um, but but it fails, right? And and then you know, Rufus and Lily, there, there's there's revelations. Um, I think Billy Baldwin makes it out of the country. Um, Rufus and Lily reconcile, and um, you know, it's it's a it's your classic Gossip Girl resolution, right? The, uh, right. the tension is, is 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 resolved, and and Jenny just and and the social order is restored, um, and 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 Jenny says, so this is it, like you know, the, the, like like so you guys are just going back to how it is, um, and 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 I think what that um, you know that has that plays on two levels, right? So that you know, in some ways, she's now reacting against the actual. You know the the structure of of how how conflict is resolved in the world of Gossip Girl, both actual social conflict, but also narrative conflict, and that there's tension for an arc of two to three episodes, and then someone gets written off essentially, right? Yep. And and well, and, and that and this can... this I think has to do with the actress Taylor Momsen leaving the show because we know right. that she's not we know that she's not back. Uh, for at least some part of of next year uh, to right. pursue her her quote unquote music career, right? right. And I don't know if I don't know if you've heard any of the Pretty Reckless. Uh, I have not. Are they, they professional sound... noise collective? <laughs> no, they're actually pretty heavily produced. And actually, she sounds she sounds not bad on it, but she sounds very. I mean, we, we may get to talking about auto tune later. She sounds pretty heavily processed, and uh, she sounds like she's ten years older than than she is. She sounds like the oh. Evanescence girl uh, so they, on they some of their records. Auto tune and like cigarette smoke filter. Yeah. Exactly, like Court- Courtney Loveification. It's not just the hairstyle anymore. But just the, as an um, aside, I just saw while I was in the UK or I was in Ireland, I was watching BBC and saw a whole perform live. And Courtney Love now sounds like Kurt Cobain um, after <laughs> another another decade of cigarette smoke. She just sounds yeah. like a dead ringer for Kurt. Um, wow. And so, you know, uh, that that's self imposed uh, distortion. So right, so there is a, a a production reason for this, but I think that it works, right? That it works with what we were describing as yeah, the, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they've, they've really, right? and I think it's, really... it's, it's well it's well written, um, in that uh, Jenny is is taking and is, is creating an exit option, right? Or yeah. that you know she's going to leave the world, um, and and uh, as, as a way from escape of escaping from it, uh, which they've is actually made again lemonade. What's that? They've definitely made lemonade, right? In this in this yeah. particular case, right? As opposed to just having her go to Haiti for an internship, which is lame. But that's you know, this is not a podcast about Vanessa because then that would be a stupid bot podcast. Uh, <laughs> so you know, okay. So um, talking about Jenny, Jenny opting out of the, yeah. uh, I, I know you should be doing the segues because you're hosting this one, but I'm, I'm an insurrectionist. The, so, um, so talking about, so talking about Jenny opting out, I think that that goes very well <laughs> with, um, social order restored. Um, I think, I think th- <laughs> where you were going to go with this, wait, um, that's it. We're just back to the way we started. Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> that's how it works. This is, this, this is how the, uh, uh, the, the, these for, fucking teenagers podcast works is there's, there's lots of, uh, you know, that, that, there's lots of noise. There's lots of bluster, but we're, we ultimately end up where we where we stand. <laughs> uh, <Santorum>. um, <laughs> in the veiny Lafayette Street region. Um, <laughs> but so I think that, that, that you see it. Um, a similar themes developed in this most recent episode of Glee, um, in that um, that 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 Puck. Um, you know the 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 quick summary uh, where where we're jumping in here is Puck 
has uh, had his social status diminished because um, for, dermato- for, for the reasons of a dermatological checkup um, of, a, of a, a possibly cancerous mole, uh, he had to have his mohawk shaven, uh, shaven off, and, and it, and it degre- decreases his social standing. Um, and as a way of, of climbing back up to the social ladder, he decides to pursue um, Mercedes, who has become you know, one of the coolest girls in school um, because she's now a Cheerio. Right. Um, and, and, and the plan works uh, through uh, by by wooing with 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 Sammy Davis Jr. songs. Um, it, it, it works. Right. Um, but but uh, how, how, how do you read the connections? Right. So that, I, I've given you the setup. I'll let you unpack the 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 mental mental santorum the uh we need we need to do new dirty we we need a new dirty metaphor i'll let you think about it this you know man um, you said you set the cognitive agenda it's here (laughs) sorry sorry dude (laughs) wait i don't have the discursive power to set the cognitive agenda you know i uh weapons of the week um i so so look, I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of stuff going going on here. You know, the the idea that that the previous the previous um, uh, episode of Glee had been one essentially about uh, about reputation, I think links it links it to Gossip Girl, and this this most recent one that that seems to be kind of about social standing, where you know Sue loses position and. And uh, Puck loses position, and Mercedes gains position. Two episodes ago of Gossip Girl, the first episode that we're covering this week, there was something about the Wheel of Fortune. Like, you're, you may be riding high, but you'll be brought low the next day. And this is a pre... Um, it, uh, sort of a pre-enlightenment, a sort of pre-modern metaphor for life, um, as opposed to, like, the Enlightenment idea of the great chain of being, or the sort of early modern through Enlightenment idea, the great chain of being, that, like, everything goes up to the monarch and then from the monarch to God. The Wheel of Fortune is, you know, the uh, kind of medieval idea that, like, life is a circle. You're on top one day, you're on the bottom. Uh, you're on the bottom uh, the next day. And I, I think that, that a better metaphor... Um, is rather than being kind of a wheel, you, you might say that that Sue falls from the top of the wheel to the bottom of the wheel and then comes back to the top of the wheel, right. um, uh, or you know Puck goes through a same a similar thing. Mercedes goes through a similar thing, but in right. in uh, in reverse. The, the the idea is more like a scale, right? Where uh, where things are uh, in yeah. a certain balance. Yeah. There's a certain equilibrium, right? And you can tip the scale a little bit by putting your finger on it, but the second you take your finger away, it's going to swing back to the same equilibrium it was in before. And that's what we see, you know, at the end of the episode with Mercedes no longer a Cheerio, with, uh, you know, Puck um, back on, to, on top of the world. But the, the, the segue I was trying to make before was about, you know, Mercedes' Mercedes capacity for opting out versus Jenny's capacity right. for opting well, out. When wait, Jenny well, tried gonna, to opt out of this... I was going to ask that as, as well, right? So, so how, did you, how do you read that? Well, the, what, what's the difference between Mercedes and Jenny, right? Like, um... Uh, Mercedes has an alternative social order available to her. That is to say, she can just live in the subculture of the Glee Club. She doesn't have to cross over into the subculture of the Cheerios within the larger culture of of high school. Jenny uh, is stuck at Constance, at least at the beginning of this season. And when she tries to opt out as queen, uh, you know, she may have a more successful time opting out of the family, getting packed off to, to, to boarding school or something like this uh, for being an international drug mule. But but um, at the beginning of the season, sh- she had no exit option. And so she couldn't really opt out of the, the, the social order. Mercedes does. And so when she says to Puck, you know, it, it's not worth this cost, right? I'm, I'm unwilling to countenance the, uh, the abuses of power in the name of maintaining my, my social position. Uh, she's, she's doing a couple of things. One, she's implicitly recognizing that, um, you know that the that the uh, the the high school social order is predicated on um, uh, d- on an organized use of violence, whether right. legitimate or not, an organized use of violence. And we see that. I mean, we see that in well, the Puck kind of says this right. Puck says like, well, this is what I have to do, right? Like, I'm I'm retaliating, um, yeah, because you know you know it's 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 the it's basic order, right? If I if I don't do this, everything's going to fall apart. Um, and and you even see this um, like. 
I think it was like in one of the last episodes of the first half of the season that um, Finn gets hazed by some guys um, in the locker room for being in Glee Club. And, and they also say the same thing. It's like, hey, this is just the way, way it works. Right? We're just playing our role in maintaining this order. Otherwise, everything will fall apart. Right. Well, this, I mean, this is something that's been, this is something that's been, that's been played with a lot. The, um, you know, yeah, the, the, the idea, you know, and it's funny because the order, the, the life of a high school student is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. So <laughs> it seems, it seems like the, um, I mean, short, fortunately only four years. Uh, it, it seems like the, the organization that's being maintained, you know, is, is pretty brutal, right? Uh, is more like the Habesian state of nature than than it is like you know life under the the Leviathan. Right. Um, so uh, you know so so okay. Um, the, you know there's a difference between between uh, uh, Jenny's kind of weak opposition and Mercedes sort of taking a principled stand um, uh, against uh, against these. Uh, uh, against this form of, of of rulership, or against the the abuses that this form of rulership necessitates. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if this is just a once and done thing, right? We've talked about this a little bit in Glee. Of this, very much, well, could be a thing. Then that 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 is not referenced again, right? This could be a Kurt on the football team um, sort of um, plot line, and then in the next episode, Puck's hair has grown back, and it's not an issue anymore. Um, yeah. If if it, what what's interesting, I mean, what the way I would prefer to see it go, but I I don't think they will explore this anymore. Is and you know what's interesting about this is that it's unclear, like whether right. So Jenny really has tried other options, right? So she's tried everything but the exit option, right? So she tried to you know leverage you know various types of um, outside resources. Uh, or, or her own creativity to change the social order, and was constrained by 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 the power structures, right? And realized that you know, you know, the game is the game, right? Um, and 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 I think what's what's interesting is that you could imagine a situation where, rather than um, Mercedes, you know, quitting the Cheerios and and stepping down from being from being a cool kid, um, you know, is is like her exit option. Is it's her resigning? You could imagine that this is a you know could be, could have been framed as a threat to Puck, right? To say, listen, you know, um, you're you're cool again because of me, and I can take that all away by by quitting, right? So you change change how you're enforcing this because I know you don't really want this, um, and 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 uh, and I don't want this. And then you know she could have really changed the the normative content of of the social order, right? Become a benevolent sovereign. Um, um, and, and I think that, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen whether Puck will, will, when, hair, when his hair grows back, whether he'll be, um, you know, whether he'll be cool again. Um, and then it's it interesting, issue, right? It's interesting that we're willing to take this as at face value that like when, when his hair grows back, which is sort of, which is sort of ridiculous. Right. And by, by sort of, uh, by making the source of his power, something so ridiculous and, and so arbitrary, I think there's a larger point being made about the, um, about the kind of arbitrary character of any social order, what mm. the, what the post-structuralists call, uh, structurality, you know, that it, that is to say these things aren't ordained by God or by necessity. Uh, you know, these things, these things are, are highly contingent and could be, uh, could be otherwise, could easily be otherwise, you know, and that, um, uh, you know the the idea that it's like it's like saying the person who holds the scepter you know is is the right. ruler right. you know because what right. that what the hell is that right what the hell does right. that mean um, right right right, right. It, or it's you the, know, the conch the conch in Lord of the Flies or something yeah like that. <laughs> yeah exactly um, well it's right different. exactly that's a different type of, of of social order or not but right it's a it's a there's a symbolic order that underpins a a, a um, social order right this is we've talked about the distinction between you know, sort of uh, things that operate on a on a cultural level, on a in the symbolic realm, and things that work on the on the level of social structure, on the, the actual structure of of relationships, right? And and these 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 interact, right? Um, so 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 what does that mean? So that this is the that um, 
I mean, I guess it is interesting that we are taking it at, at face value. But I mean, I think that it's very possible that in the world of Glee, right, that 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 kind of you know, like we, we, there's no reason to believe. You know, it's like if 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 a new haircut can can change Puck's social stat, uh, status, and we know that. Uh, you know, things that um, happen in one episode may not have a particularly long sh- shelf life. We have every reason to believe that Puck will be back at the top of the social order, the high school social order, within the, you know by by the next episode, right? Yeah. Um, Though the, right, yeah, and just to buttress this idea of like a scale that that swings back. You know, when Rachel, uh, the idea of the list, the like the slut list, the Glee Club slut list. Um, yeah. You know that that could uh, damage someone's reputation, or the idea that 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 Quinn, uh, the idea that Will kind of uh, voice on Quinn that that the damage to um, the the real consequence of the pregnancy is the damage to her, um, uh, the damage to her reputation. Right. Um, you, you know, things things swing back, right? The. Um, uh, uh, Rachel tries promiscuity in the form of her her video project, right? Mm. Um, she tries getting it on with three guys within the complex vocabulary of the filmic arts, right? Yes, including <laughs> star star wipes. Um. It's funny because the principal's objection is, I cannot have a list that sexualizes children and um, a- and lowers their self esteem. The only people who who self esteem seems to be hurt by the list are the people who are low on it or aren't as high as they thought they would be, like Rachel at the bottom, or one or two of the people, like Brittany, thought she she would be number one and she's not, or you know, or some such. I forget, I forget, uh, I forget exactly the plot. There's some stuff about cognitive agenda setting in the last couple episodes and the discursive power of who can set the cognitive agenda. But to talk about that would be essentially to rehash the other stuff and and you know. I I'd encourage other stuff that we've already talked about, and I'd encourage our listeners to go back in the archives to um, uh, to read that. You can you can go to overthinkingit.com uh, slash tft, and you'll find you'll find all the archives of the episodes there, and you can download them. And most of them are in iTunes. It's just iTunes only really keeps the last ten, so you can go back to the beginning on overthinkingit.com slash tft. But why don't we close out with with a couple of your thoughts about autotune? Well, I think I think that we can transition, right? So that rather than rehashing even the definition of of cognitive, cognitive cognitive agenda setting and how it works in Glee, I think that we you know we've talked a bit about how Glee is is a show that you know ha- has one of the elements of what Glee is about is about about the self and about the sort of representation of the self um, and and the you know and and the relationship between um, you know. The internal life and and the sort of intersubjective or, or collective life as as manifest, manifested through um, through popular music through song right and and I think what which is which is Jordan has pointed out is is a uh, an artistic form that uh, that lives in a liminal area between personal and intersubjective exactly exactly and I think that what the most recent episode plays on that and really and, – and the, the previous episode as well play on that really well and sort of confirm that interpretation, um, and, and in particular in the use of, of autotune and the role of autotune, right? And so in this episode, uh, episode on the voice, right, the episode is called Laryngitis, and it's about Rachel losing – You know, Ryan, sorry. I'm, I'm going to interrupt. Uh, the the – the we're dealing really? with, <laughs> we're dealing with two glee episodes here one about reputation and another about your true voice which is yes. actually about uh about an intrasubjective and an intersubjective um uh conceptions oh, of the self that is that is to say encapsulated in these in these last two episodes which i think have been good certainly better than the burt Bacharach episodes for for yeah. my money because they included some up-tempo numbers you have a little you have a, a little typology of the self in the universe of glee uh the self within within society and the self in itself uh, uh and what authenticity uh and what the true self you know might mean sorry back to you no 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 so but i think i think it's it's related um i mean even so I th- just to, to I, I think that in the episode on voice, um, it's it, you, you you see both of these elements, right? And so that um, and and I think what's interesting is when when Rachel stands up to sing her her solo, her song that, that exemplifies her voice. Um, 
it's one of the few times we hear a untreated voice um, in in Glee, and I mean, and Lee Michelle plays it up, right? So she delivers yeah. these things off key. She's not we, trying to sing well, right? Um, and and she sings badly, very well, right? Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and what's interesting is that she notices it, right? She doesn't sound like herself, but also everyone else recognizes it, right? So that so that even this voice is is about both how you hear yourself, but how that is also recognized and affirmed by your peer group. So I think even this one has this intersubjective um, component to it, right? That uh, that you know everyone starts kind of looking at each other when she when when her voice uh, uh, sounds sounds terrible. Um, and and I think what's interesting is that um, you know this relates to I think it, it shows an important role of of autotune in these in these songs. So that it's not just you know, we've talked about this before. Oh, like, oh, these are autotuned because this is what, um, right? Like w- when you were just talking about Taylor Momsen's uh, rock group, um, you know, that this is what a lot of, of pop music sounds like, right? And, and these people can't sing. Um, they're not real artists. Um, and and and, and we, we have to go back to the way where, where you know, singers sang, right? Um, I think that um, you know, Sasha Frere Jones, uh, the music uh, critic for The New Yorker, has a great article from about two years ago on T Pain um, and argues that um, you know, T Pain's use of autotune is analogous to John Lennon's use of the various types of tape effects um, that he used uh, in, in recording his voice um, and the idea of trying to create the, the voice. Uh, the sound of his voice that he hears in his imagination, right? That, that, and so that, um, you know, the, the, what you hear as your voice, you know, reverberating through your skull, um, but also through, you know, your own, you know, imagining of yourself um, is very different from the actual acoustic, the, 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 the sound that your vocal cords make coming out of, out of your body. Right. Um, And that, and that something like autotune is a tool that 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 you know that that creates this um, vision of of your voice, right? And so that you know, in in the world of Glee, these um, these stylized, right? This the the these you know, there's very few acapella songs, right? Almost all of the numbers are you know, there's there's a lot of instrumentation. Um, they're shot in you know a, a complex. Uh, vocabulary of the filmic arts, um, as Jordan has dissected a few times, both in print and on this show. And the autotune plays a role of, of creating this perception of, you know, I sound really good, right? But it also veers into this, you know, artistic use of, um, of, of, of autotune as, as a way of distorting um, and modifying the voice. It's a, you know, it's the difference between, between a weak, uh, again, to return to Harold Bloom, between a, a weak use of technology and a strong use of technology. Right. Right. Uh, you know, d- uh, technology is a form of, of, um, uh, of imitation or as a, as a gateway, as a, a means to imitation or technology as a means to self-expression. Right. Well, and I think, and, and that's why I actually think that um, this links, and you know, the, the the role of auto tune in relation to voice, um, you know, actually has a similar role and similar themes to what we saw in Reputation, right? Because part of what the Reputation episode was about was also songs with a bad reputation, right? So these were, um, you know, things like physical Olivia Newton-John's physical uh, or Ice Ice Baby, um, you know, songs that are were what hit wonders. Um, that have also become sort of laughable, right? And it's it's how how much can you reinvent um, a a a forgotten song through through a strong misreading, right? And so I think what sort of happens with with Sue um, is uh, is is that she um, you know is able to when she she eventually gets to re remake um, physical with Olivia Newton John and 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 um, in a version that. You know, heavily features auto tune, but in a, in in a way that you argued in our in our show notes was artfully applied, right? And and so I think that well, it's two. I mean, it's two. Right? There, there are two. Possibilities. One is that you're dealing with two older women singers, one of whom isn't a singer, who don't have the pipes of the of the twenty somethings who make up the cast of Glee, the teens and twenty somethings, and so the you know the auto tune becomes necessary. But the other is that this is supposed to be a a revitalization, an updating of this song, and you know one of the one of the 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 features of our pop music, whether you you like it or uh, don't, as I oftentimes don't. Um, 
uh, one of the features of it is auto-tune. So yeah. you can't, you know, you, you, if you're going to update the song, you have to update it with auto-tune because that's how, you know, that's, that's how it is. Well, and that's how you create a dance song today, right? But I, I think it's a way, like you say, it's, I, I think it's a strong use of technology. It's a strong use of the fan video, right? Hey, you, um, know, what, you know what else would be a strong use of technology? Um, I think it might be contacting us, um, joining in the conversation through many of the various uh, pieces of technology that you could that you can use, um, including sending us an email at podcast at overthinkingit.com, uh, leaving us a voicemail at 20 fat jog one that's 203-285-6401. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com. Uh, slash TFT podcast. Uh, if you if you listen to us on iTunes, why not go on and review us? Um, recommend us to a friend. Uh, you know, share the love. Uh, Social you know, help, help, get it. Help get pack and unpack these <laughs> these concepts. Um, build, build your reputation and our reputation, um, so that that you can do it for the Upper East Siders, for the the Glee Club members, but most of all for the- these. Fucking teenagers. teenagers.